Aren't you thankful for that? Thankful that uh, the Lord did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And um, what an honor it is to stand here and preach to you. This church is very special and dear to me. And um, I mean, uh, I was saved by God's grace out of this church. (laughs) My life has been changed here. There's not many days that go by that this church doesn't come across my mind and my heart. Got so many memories, good memories. I've got no complaints. I've got no bad words. I've, I've got no, it's all good memories. I'm thankful for God's family. I'm thankful for this church. And, and I, I'm unworthy to preach to you this morning. But I'm thankful to get to. You can take your Bible and turn to 1 John. The book of 1 John. It's on my heart to do an exposition of, the first, of a few verses in the first three chapters. I don't necessarily have one thought that everything is going to, you know, culminate and climax at. I'd like for us just to walk through the scriptures that the Lord has placed on my heart. And uh, my, my prayer for us, for the child of God, is that we'll leave here fed by His Word. If you're here and you're not a child of God, my prayer is that, uh, that He'll convict you and draw you and you'll put faith in Jesus Christ. And um, let's, let's begin reading in chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at verse 1. The Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, you ought to underline or make note of that word handled. It's key. That's the key to verse 1. That our hands have handled of the word of life. Look at verse number 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You ought to make note of the words fellowship there. Twice in verse 3, fellowship is brought up in verse 3. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you. You say, how do I witness? How do I tell people about Christ? What you hear, you tell. You take the gospel, what you've heard from the gospel, you tell that. And what John says, this is what we've heard and this is what we're declaring unto you. He goes on and he gives this great statement of our great God. He says that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. The book of 1 John, if you're not familiar with the book of 1 John, child of God, you ought to get familiar with it. It'll help you. Uh, it'll, it'll help you in, in seasons of revival. It'll help you in seasons of, of the valley. It'll help you um, when, when your faith is as strong as it has ever been. It'll help you when it seems to be your faith is waning, when your faith is lacking. Um, the book of 1 John, has a, uh, there's a multitude of things that God teaches us in 1 John. 
And um, without fail, near about every time when, when someone, uh, even, even myself from, from a, uh, times past at, at times, when, when someone has been doubting their salvation, you can take them to First John and you can, you can get help from that. If uh, when, when doubt creeps into you, First John, you can turn to chapter, you don't have to turn there now, but you can turn to chapter 5, I believe it's verse number 13, and he tells us that he's written this so you can know that you have eternal life. And don't believe the crowd that says you can't know, because God says you can know, and let God be true, and every man a liar. And you can have assurance of your salvation and I would say that the book of First John is a book on, I know a lot of people, you study the First John, First John and you get books that are written about it. And one of the focuses is on fellowship. And I understand First John covers fellowship with God, our fellowship with God. But I would say that First John, at the heart of it, First John is dealing with our assurance over and over and over throughout the book of First John. You see this word no, K-N-O-W, no, and, and he's dealing with, uh, dealing with us and our knowledge and our assurance. And, and so it's on my heart just to walk through these first three, chap- three chapters and look at some verses, and I pray God will help us. And so we've come to chapter 1. And we've read three verses out of the first chapter. You can take chapter 1 and divide it right down the middle. You can take verse 1 through 5 and draw you a line. Take verse 6 through 10. And uh, verse 6 through 10, John is really... I've, I've titled chapter 1 a learning chapter. Where John, he gets right into it and he begins to teach us some things. And you and I can take First John and learn some things in chapter 1. Verse 6 through 10, we learn about ourselves and, and we learn some things scripturally about ourselves that the Bible tells us, that God tells us about us. And it's not on my heart to deal with that. You can walk through those verses by yourself and, and we'll learn some things about us. And that's exactly what the Bible is. Is it not the Bible? When you open it up and you begin to read it, is the Bible not a mirror in which we see ourselves? And, and, uh, and, and through the Bible, we see our need for Christ Jesus as our Savior. And so verse 6 through 10, we're learning about ourselves. You come to verse 1 through 5, and John is teaching us, and we're learning about God. And uh, I would say in today's climate, in today's Christian culture, especially in America, we need to know more about God. Our knowledge of God is growing shorter and shorter and shorter. And it's not so much the pew's fault as it is the pulpit's fault. Whenever we meet, uh, when the Bible is open, we need a fresh glimpse of God. We need to know more about God when we leave here than when we showed up here. And so John begins to teach us about God. You say, what does he teach us about God? Well, look at verse number 1. The Bible says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Here's the phrase. Here is, here is the key to verse 1. And our hands have handled. Now, you've got to understand a little bit of the background in which John is writing. John's writing in a time when, uh, when a false doctrine known as Gnosticism is being taught. And promote it and uh, make a long story short, Gnosticism, one of the things they taught is that Jesus, that God did not come in a bodily form. He merely came in spirit form. And, and that was going on in John's day. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, takes a pen and paper. And the first thing he teaches us is this, as the incarnation of God. You say, where do you get that from verse number one? Here's where I get that. John said, he's talking about Jesus here, talking about Christ here, talking about God the Son, and one of the things he tells 
tells us that they did to him is that they handled him. And John is saying that Jesus, that God didn't just come in a, in a spirit form, but he came in a body form because you can't handle a spirit, but you certainly can handle a body. And the incarnation of God, that's one of the fundamental doctrines and beliefs in the Christian faith. That's one of the foundational things that you and I believe. And if you don't believe in the incarnation, you are not a Christian. The fact that God robed himself in flesh, stepped out of his world and stepped into our world, humiliated himself, humbled himself to to tabernacle among men such as you and I. He's teaching us of the incarnation of Christ. That God came to this earth in a body. He walked on this earth in a body. He, uh, he fed people with his hands, with literal, physical hands. They took a body and they nailed a body on the cross. They took a body off of the cross. They put a body into the tomb. And in three days, a body walked out of that tomb. And it's because he came in a body that he walked out in a body. And so in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 1, we see John is teaching us about the incarnation. He says, this Jesus that we preach to you, he says, we didn't only see him and we didn't only hear him. He he says, let me set something straight. Our hands handled him. God came to this earth in a body, in a body. And so you can take this verse. I believe the interpretation, he's talking about the, the incarnation, but you can take it and it's very relevant for today. John is saying that their hands handled him. There's a, there's a group of people that go around and they, uh, that you've got to admire their dedication. You've got to at least give them something for their dedication, how, how they are devoted to their cause. But it, that makes it all the more uh, sad. They'll come to your door and they'll knock on your door and they'll hand you literature and they'll tell you they are witnesses for Jehovah. But one thing they don't believe is they do not believe in a bodily resurrection. And John wrote that their hands have handled him. And I just got to thinking as I read this as I began to think about John, the gospel of John chapter number 20, how, uh, how you remember Thomas wasn't going to believe until what? Until he touched him, until he felt him. And Jesus comes uh, and he says, uh, he says to reach out your hand and feel me. And I just couldn't help but think that John had that on his mind as well. Whenever he wrote, our hands have handled him. And child of God, there's coming a day when uh, they may lay your body in a, in a grave, uh, they may, you might draw your last breath and you're laid in the ground. Uh, but if you're in Christ and Christ is in you because uh, He walked out of the grave, one day you and I will walk out of the grave. We have no need to fear death. Death has lost its sting because of the Christ uh, who has saved us. And so He's teaching us about the incarnation. Not only that, He's teaching us about the inclination. The inclination of God, verse number 3. The Bible says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. Watch this next phrase. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is John teaching us about the inclination of God. What is God inclined to do? And this will help me and it will help you if we'll ever grasp this. And let it find lodging place in our heart and in our spirit and our soul that, that God is inclined to fellowship with you and with me. That God has a desire to fellowship 
with His people. And I'd say this, that He, uh, he, is a, he, he desires to fellowship with us more than we desire to fellowship with Him. How do you know that? Because if we desired it as much as He did, we'd fellowship with Him a whole lot more than what we do. And if we'll ever grasp the fact that God desires, if you belong to Him, He desires to fellowship, to walk with you and to talk with you and to hold your hand and walk with you through this life. He desires to fellowship with us. You can go throughout the Bible and you can find this to be a fact. You can start at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. You've got God has created the world. God's created man. God's created woman. And what do we, we know what happens in Genesis 3. Man falls, man sins. And uh, God comes to the garden just as he had uh, every other time before. And what we find unfold in Genesis Chapter number three is a gracious and a merciful God. He would have been just in scrapping it. He'd have been just in throwing them in hell and taking their life. But what do we find him doing? We find him coming and he asks Adam a question. He says, Adam, where art thou? He's getting Adam's attention. And at the end of the day there, we find that God is coming to fellowship with Adam and Eve. You come to the, to the gospels where you can maybe call the middle of the Bible. The beginning of the New Testament. And um, you come to the book of Luke, chapter number 22. And it's right before, right before Christ is fixing to be nailed to the cross. Right before He's fixing to have the sin of the world uh, and the wrath of God poured upon His head. Uh, and what is He doing in that upper room? Uh, he sits uh, the disciples down uh, and He sits with them at that table at that last supper. And He looks at them in the eyes uh, and He says, with desire, I have desired to eat this meal meal with you. What is Christ telling us? What do we draw from there when Christ makes that statement? Right before, He knew what was coming. He knew the hour was at hand. He knew what was waiting upon Him. And in light of all of that, and in spite of all of that, He looks at His people and He says, I know what's coming, but I desire to fellowship with you just one more time. You can go to the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter number 3 where Jesus is writing to the those uh, seven churches. You come to the last church, the church at Laodicea. And everybody knows about the church at Laodicea. She's been preached upon. And uh, she has, uh, she's been rebuked and she's been reproved. And, and uh, we've taken her and we've exhorted the, the church right now through the church at Laodicea. And uh, you, you find Jesus writing to them and He gives a description of them. He tells them that they're lukewarm, they're neither hot nor cold. He, he goes on and He tells them that they're wretched and they're, they're miserable and they're naked. It gives a terrible description about them. But what He doesn't end it there. What does He say when you come to Revelation 3 and 20? He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and any man that will come and open that door, I'll come and sup with him and he with me. What does that word sup, S-U-P, what does it mean at the very core and heart of it? It simply means to sit and fellowship. You've got the church at Laodicea Jesus, by the Scripture, Jesus is on the outside. He's knocking on the door. But what He's telling them is this, is that He desires to fellowship with them. And dearly beloved, you and I, I know this is fresh on our mind now, the fellowship between us and God. But if we'll take this, and it'll be fresh on Tuesday, and it'll be fresh on Thursday, 
And it'll be fresh on a Friday evening. I'm telling you, if this will be fresh in our hearts and in our minds, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to all of us, including myself, because I need reminded of this, that God desires to fellowship with me. He has purchased me. He's bought me with the blood of Christ. He has uh, He's saved me and redeemed me, and He desires to fellowship. If, it'll, if, if we'll grasp this, it'll, it'll help our Christian walk. It'll help our day-to-day living as a Christian. It'll help us to walk with Him. He goes on to teach us about God. Verse 5, He says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light. You ought to underline that. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. He's told us about God. The incarnation. Tell us about God and His inclination. Then He's going to wrap it up in verse 5 and teach us about God and the illumination. He says that God is light. What these lights are to our physical eye, God is to our spiritual eye. Now, I love love what, what John says and how he says it. He says, and in Him is no darkness. And if it had been God's will, he could have stopped there. But, but it's almost as if he puts an exclamation point on it. He says, and in him is no darkness at all. There is no darkness at all in God. And it doesn't say that God is like a light. It says that God is light. And dearly beloved, uh, that's just telling you and I that our God is pure. He's, uh, he's unmixed. There is no mixture of darkness within Him. Uh, we walk out of this world uh, and we're flooded with darkness. You can't, listen, you can't turn your phone on. You can't turn your TV on. You can't even walk in Walmart anymore without seeing how dark uh, this world is. Uh, and I'm, I'm of the persuasion according to the Bible and according to society. It's only getting darker and it's only getting darker and it's only getting darker but I've got good news for the child of God where's a day coming when we're going to a place there is no darkness there's no S-U in there because the S-O-N is there and he is the light of that place I'm of the persuasion there's not going to be even any shadows in heaven because God is so bright Aren't you glad? Aren't you looking forward to that day? Don't you just get sick uh, and tired uh, of the darkness that you and I have to live in and the darkness that you and I have to fight uh, and the sin uh, and the temptation John is telling us about God uh, and the thing he wants you and I to walk away with today is this, uh, is that it might be dark out there, but it ain't dark up there. Praise God. This is what we call A communicable attribute of God. There are attributes of God that are non-communicable. And what that word means, that word communicable, it simply means to transfer. And so there are attributes of God that are His and His alone. The, The attribute of His omniscience, that's His and His alone. Now I know that you know some people that think they know it all. Say amen right there. And you look at them and say, no, you don't know it all. Only God knows it all. That's an attribute that's only His. There's a multitude that are, but there are attributes that he communicates, that he gives to us at the moment of salvation, and, and there, there's a multitude of them. And God is gracious, he expects you and I to be gracious. God is love, and he expects you and I to be loving. God is holy, and he expects you and I to be holy. And one of them, I believe, is that the fact that God is light, and he expects you and I to be light. How do you know that? Well, you can take your Bible and read in the book of 
of Matthew where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And what does he call? What does he look and tell them? He says, you are two things. One of them is that you are the salt of the earth. And then the other one is that you are the light of the world. You're to be light. You and I are to reflect the light that, uh, that is in the Savior. You and I. Let me ask us all this question. How well are we lighting up our world? How well do we shine light for the people that come in contact with us? You and I, we ought to be reflecting that light. We ought to let, uh, as, as we are taught in Sunday school and in vacation Bible school, listen to me, you and I don't outgrow this. We ought to let our light shine in a world of darkness. People ought to, people ought to be able to walk up to a Christian and, and recognize something about them. They are, you've heard it said, they are glowing. They are shining. We don't mean that with a literal glow. They, they don't have a literal, but, but there's something that moves in them. Some, some, and it ain't something, it's someone. Say amen. amen. Christ ought to shine through us. You've heard it said, a God that big can't move into somebody as small as me and not stick out somewhere so look, let's look at chapter 2. Let's look at chapter 2. Chapter 1 is a learning chapter. You can say chapter 2 is a, a loving chapter. Now I know that chapter 4 is also a love chapter where, where we learn that God is love in verse John chapter 4. But you, you don't come to chapter 2 and not see the love of God. Verse number 1. The Bible says, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And uh, he puts a period there. So we ought to, we ought to dwell on that. We ought to dwell. He, he says, I'm writing this. He says, these things write unto you. And here's the reason why I'm writing. Here's one of the reasons. He says that you sin not. Are we not living, are we not living in a time and a day whenever... Uh, whenever people, people are so deceived and they think that they can take grace and use it as a license to sin. And dearly beloved, if that's what you think about grace, you are misunderstanding grace. And Paul says in uh, Romans 6 and 22 that you and I are not, uh, we're not saved to sin. But Paul says we are saved uh, from sin. And John is pretty much saying the same thing that Paul is saying in Romans 6 and 22. He says, I'm writing this. And one of the reasons, one of the purposes in my writing this is that you and I don't sin. I understand. I understand very well that we're not going to reach sinless perfection while we're walking in this body of flesh. But you and I, that don't mean we don't need to strive to. You and I ought to strive to be as close to the Scripture and as close to the Word and the will of God as we can be. And this is going to be a day in and day out battle. And though I'm not going to be perfect. I ought to strive to be. I ought to strive to be as close to God. And what he would have for me to be as I can. And when I fall I don't lay and waller in it. I don't, I don't uh, roll around in it. I ask God for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And I get back up and I continue to walk in the light. As he talks about in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1. That's what walking in the light is. It is uh, walking with God and fellowshipping with God. Getting closer to God. We fall down. We get back up. We keep pursuit. We draw nigh unto God. And He draws nigh unto us. So He goes on in verse 1. I'm glad He didn't stop there. Amen. I'm glad He didn't stop there. He says, and if any man sin... 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, And He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here, this uh, chapter 2 is a loving chapter. And the first thing that you come in contact with in verse 1 and verse 2 is the love that God has for you and I. Now, aren't you glad that God loves you? Aren't you glad that God has a love for us? A love for us that you and I, if we sit and dwell upon it and sit and think upon it and sit and contemplate upon it, what we'll find is that we cannot wrap our minds around the fact that a good, great God would love someone as low, rotten, and wretched as me and as you. But I am thankful for it. I don't understand it, but I'm thankful for it. And we see here, Look at uh, verse 1. You say, where's the love of God in verse number 1? Well, I'd like to point uh, something out to you. He says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with, and you ought to underline these two words, the Father. We have an advocate with, so what he's doing here, he says, if any man sin, painting a scenario, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, um, we, it's, it's very interesting, the word choice that is used here, that God has, has led John to write, it's very interesting that he doesn't say we have an advocate with God. Now, I believe that the Father is God. We're Trinitarian. We're not, uh, we're Trinitarian. We believe in one God and three persons. I affirm that. I believe that. But it's interesting that he doesn't say we have an advocate with God. He says we have an advocate with the Father. What he's letting you, and, I, and this will help you, uh, if God has forgiven you and you have not forgiven yourself, this will help you. He's letting you know that though we fall and though we sin, we're still in the family. We're still in the family. I've given God plenty of times to throw me away. And I know that you have as well because we're, uh, we're robed in flesh. Uh, there's been time and time and time again that God could have uh, uh, thrown me away, but He's saved me. He's keeping me. He's secured me. He's sealed me. And though we sin, He's still our Father. If that relationship has ever been established, it will endure to the end of time. And what John is teaching us here about the love of God is the love of God stands through thick and thin. It stands the test of time. It stands our faults. It withstands our failures. And John is saying the same thing that Paul was saying in Romans chapter 8, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. John wants you and I to remind ourselves that if we sin, He's still the Father. If we sin, now listen, there's not a license to sin. He's, he's, he's put that up front. It's not a license to sin. And I don't preach, uh, I don't preach uh, where, where we have a license to sin. I certainly don't believe that. And if you know me, you know that about me. And I know your pastor doesn't as well. But one thing we can rejoice over is that when we fall, the Lord is still there. The Lord is still loving us. The Father has still holding us in His hand. And John's reminding us about it. You say, what would cause that? His love for us. That's the only explanation there is. He's not, I mean, he's not benefiting. I mean, he's, we're not giving him, we're not adding to him. We're not, I mean, there's no addition. The only thing you can chalk this up as, he loves us. He loves us. And the devil will tell you he don't love you. 
The devil will tell you he's give up on you. The devil will tell you that uh, God's done with you. But what John's saying here is that he ain't done with you. If he started a work in you, he's going to perform it. And not only is he going to perform he's going to finish that work. So he says that we have an advocate with the Father. Look at verse number 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And here again. You see the love of God on full display. The fact that you ought to circle that, that definitive article, V. He's not a propitiation. No matter what uh, it used to be, and, and sad to say this, it used to be whenever we would make a statement like that, we would point our finger at some celebrity. Maybe as Oprah, maybe as Dr. Phil. But what the sad thing is, is that we've got, we've got buildings that have churches on the outside, that have church on their side on the outside in mega cities and they're drawing thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And what they're telling the people that are sitting there is that Jesus is just a way. You're on your way and you're on your way and I'm on my way and we're all headed to the same destination. But that doesn't line up with the scripture. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what God teaches. That's not what John's teaching us here. That is contrary to Scripture and He wants you and I. First off, we need to understand that there is a way and He is that way. And there's only one way. He is the propitiation for our sins. And this statement, that line, that sentence is what separates. You can you can chalk it up. You can name every denomination you want to. You can name every religion you want to. But really at the end of the day, all of it boils down to this. There are two main uh, there, there are two main religions. There's a faith and a grace-based religion, and there's a works-based. That's what all, it all boils down to. And this statement is what separates Christianity from every other religion ever known to man. Nearly every religion, most religions, a vast majority of them will identify not God as we do, but a God. And they'll identify, most of them will identify that man has offended. And here's where they differ. They'll say man has offended this God and man's got to do something to appease that God and to placate that God and to propitiate that God and to satisfy that God. And so you've got millions upon millions upon millions of people that are, that are, they're under the burden of their sin. They're under the burden of their transgression and their iniquity and they're under the burden of being lost and, and in darkness. And in their mind, they're thinking, if I do enough, I will propitiate this God. If I work enough, I'll propitiate this God. If I give enough, I'll satisfy His wrath. But this is what separates Christianity from all of that. Is God propitiates Himself. He is the propitiation for our sin. Listen to me. If you're in here in the, in this morning and you're thinking you're going to work your way to God. You've walked in here under a burden of your sin and lost condition You've tried all week to work your way to God. You've tried all month to satisfy God. You've tried all year to, to relieve the conviction that is riding with you and going with you and pressing upon you. And you're doing everything you can to satisfy and make amends with God and find reconciliation with God and come back to God and, and, mend, and, and mend the brokenness that's between you and God and, and, and enclose that gulf and, and, uh, and, and build a bridge over that chasm. If you're 
you're trying to do that in your own self, with your own righteousness, by your own works, I want you to know that it'll never happen. It'll never be accomplished. There's one way to God the Father, and it is through the God the Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and His shed blood on Calvary's cross. There, listen, there is a God, uh, and he, he, he has wrath towards sin, uh, and, uh, and there is a way to have that fixed. There is a way to satisfy the wrath of God. Uh, And it's putting faith in Jesus Christ. Christ has already satisfied. Christ has already shed His blood. He's done the work. You don't work. He's done the work. He's satisfied. It's finished. The Father has accepted it. You say, how do I get it? Faith. Paul says in Acts 20 and 21, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we find in chapter 2 is that God loves us. You say, what would, what would make chapter, verse, verse 1 of chapter 2, we have an advocate with the Father. Why would He keep us? Because He loves us. Why would He pay our debt? That's essentially what's going on in verse 2. Why would He pay our debt? Because He loves us. He goes on. I want, I'm trying not to get too bogged down because I want to get to chapter 3. But He goes on. Um, we see that God loves us. Listen to me. God loves us. And he expects you to love others. God loves me, and he expects me to love others. All through the Bible, and in this verse, in this chapter right here, look at um, look at verse eight. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He, now watch this. Now this is a common theme, especially in chapter one and two. He that saith, you you can write this on your paper in your notes. Talk is cheap. Let's see your actions. Talk is cheap. Let's see what we're really doing. He says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Dearly beloved, let me, let me kindly remind all of us that the child of God has no room for hatred, malice, and anger in our hearts. We have no room for that. We, we, God, has, God has shed His love towards us. We ought to love others. Because God loves us, we love others. And if you're here this morning and you have anger in your heart towards your brother and towards your sister in Christ, you ought to get that right. You ought to repent of that, get it right, and make it right, and go on for the glory of God. Let's look at chapter number 3. This is where we'll end. Chapter 3. I'll be as brief as I can. Look at verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. You ever feel like you just don't fit in in this world? I mean, Christian, uh, God's people, you ever, you ever just get caught up living in life and you just, it's like you take a survey, you analyze what's going on, and you just, you feel plumb out of, out of, you are, you, you're not, you're not fitting in and you realize it and, and, and somewhere inside, you why is this? It's a good thing. That's a good thing. If you fit in, you, you are birds of a feather flock together. Let me just say that. And if you fit in, there could be something wrong there. He says, the world knoweth us not. Here's the reason. Verse 1, because it knew him not. 
And if you belong to Him, and you're in Him, and He is in you, you and I can expect no, no other thing that if the world didn't know Him, and, and He didn't fit in with the world, and the world didn't, then the same thing is going to happen with us. Verse number 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. Here, I've, I've called chapter 3 a looking chapter. What does he say in verse 1? He says, behold. What's, what does he mean by that? He says, you need to look. You need to cast your attention, not just a glance. You need to focus. You need to look at this. And what is he telling us to look at? Well, he's telling us to essentially look at where we're at now. Where are we? Twice. Once in verse 1, once in verse 2, he tells us that we are the sons of God. In other words, that we are in the family of God. And aren't you glad to be in the family of God? There is no other family like the family of God. I'm thankful for my family, my physical family. I'm grateful for them. I, I thank God for them on a regular basis. But there's no, there's something special about being in the family of God. I mean, Saturday rolls around and you're looking forward to being able to get to your family, to gather with your family, to, to come in and assemble and worship with your family. Tuesday rolls around and Wednesday morning comes and you know you got to make it through a work day, but you get to go to the house of God and worship with your family and greet your family and get strength from your family. Aren't you glad for the family? And if you're not in the family, I pray you'll get in the family. I pray you'll get in the family. He uh, brings up this thought on the fact that we are the sons of God. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, you ought to circle this word, now. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. What is this word now? What do we get from that? Well, you get this, and as Brother Greg has already exhorted you, smile when I say this. This word now lets us know you don't have to wait to enjoy being God's child. He says, you're, you're that now. I'm not waiting for eternal life. He has given me eternal life. I'm not waiting for uh, to, to get into the family of God. He has placed me in His family now. He says, now you are the sons of God. Now you're in the family. I wonder about Christians who are, I understand we got bad days and sometimes that's going to happen. But, but if every day is a bad day, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You and I, the Bible says we've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. And John's telling us, reminding us, beloved, now are we the sons of God? We're in the family now. You can pray and address Him as Father. Now you can bow your head and approach a heavenly Father right now. We're not waiting for this. He says now. But it also tells us that we haven't always been, right? And, and so... I'm thankful for the day that uh, I, I got in the family. You ought, to, you, ought to, you, you ought to visit that day very frequently. I, I remember it. And this, this church is special to me because we had, uh, it, was a, it was a very unusual service. People, saints were testifying. I don't remember all of it. Some of it was a blur. Amen right there. And so, uh, and so all, I could, all I could focus on, I guess I was, I don't know, 15 years old. I was driving, so I, I, I was 15 or 16. All I could remember was I've got to get out of here. Because I thought if I could get out of here, 
I can escape this conviction that I'm under. I could escape this drawing and this wooing and this, uh, this conviction. And so I got out. But I'm thankful that God is faster than we are. And, and he was in the car way before I was in the car. And was driving up Highway 15 heading back to Myrtle so we could go home. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was right before we got to Pilot parking lot. Praise God. You ought to relive. You ought to relive the time that you got in the family of God. It's, it's right before we got to Pilot parking lot. And uh, the Lord, he, He's just letting me know that I was about to cross a line that I couldn't take back. I was, I was, I'd put Him off for three years. He is drawing, He is convicting, He is wooing me and, and convicting me and convincing me. And, and He's letting me I was about to cross a line. That, there was no return. And so I just pulled in Pilot parking lot, called Brother Kevin. He came up and met me. And to open the Bible, and I knew the whole time what was needing to happen. He asked me what was going on. I lied to him. I said, I don't know. But I knew, I knew when God speaks to you, he speaks with clarity. And you know, even if your mouth says, I don't know, you know, your heart knows. I finally just broke, praise God, and I, I'm lost. I'm lost, and I need, I need salvation. And you say, what would you pray? I don't know. But I know that my heart met his heart. More importantly, I know his heart met my heart. And I know that, uh, I know I'm, I was born again that day. And I, I, I was placed in the, you say, when was you placed in the family? That I was placed in the family. He says, now are we the sons of God. You, you go to, I believe it's, uh, what, Acts chapter number 26, Paul standing before King Agrippa. And he, he, Paul told King Agrippa about his day. Paul told him, I was on the road to Damascus. It was about midday. There was, a bright, there was a light that's brighter than the sun. We all fell down. I heard Jesus speaking in the Hebrew tongue. Can you tell me about your day? Your, your day. He says, now are we the sons of God. He's, this is the doctrine of adoption. There's, a, there's about 16 main doctrines contained within salvation. And this is one of them, the doctrine of adoption. This is one that's not preached on near about enough as I believe it should be. In the doctrine of adoption, you see the love of God so intensely. When you understand Scripture... You see the love of God so deeply, how God loves us. You say, how do you see the love of God so deeply in adoption? It's, it's because when you understand Scripture, you understand that you and I are born sinners. We're born dead. We're born in darkness. But according to Colossians 1 and 21, you and I are born alienated and the enemies of God. And in adoption, do you know what God is doing? God is looking down at His mortal enemy, one that blasphemes him, one that hates him, one that denies him, and says, I love them so much, not only am I going to save them, I'm going to put them in my family. I'm going to adopt them and place them at my table. Let them eat my food. Let them enjoy my provision. I'm not just, listen, he, uh, he didn't just justify us, and he's not just sanctifying us, and he's not just glorifying us, and he didn't just redeem us, but he adopted us placed us in His family. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't do all this when we were good and, and cleaned up. He did this while we were yet... God, the Romans 4 says, God justifies the ungodly. Aren't you glad that He didn't say, when you get cleaned up and fixed up and right, then I'll do something with you. But He said, I'll justify the ungodly. While you were a sinner, I died for you. Put faith in Jesus Christ, and He will do all of this and put you in His family. I'm thankful. 
to be in his family. It's been a while since I've preached here, several years. I look out and there's new faces. But if you belong to God, we're in the same family. How can, how can, you, how can you go to different churches and feel at home? Because your home's where your family's at. And when you gather with the saints, you, you got the Spirit of God, He's living inside of you. They got the Spirit of God, He's living inside of them. Your family. Your family. Salvation, Miss, Miss Angie, can you come to the piano? Where's she at? There she is. Salvation. This is Bible as well. And this is not something that's preached, but salvation brings change. Paul said that. He says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Conversion. Change. It's different. You ain't perfect, but you are different. And I'm not what I'm going to be. And I'm not what I should be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. And so justification changes your standing with God. Sanctification changes your will. Over time, our wheels are, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We're, we're being sanctified. There's a change there. Glorification is going to change your body. Say amen there. Our bodies are going to be changed. Adoption. Now are you the sons of God. Adoption is the same way your name has changed. You've left one family. Thank God we left that family. The family of the devil. The family of the world. The family of the flesh. We left that family. And God has placed us in his family. At no merit of our own. No doing of our own. We didn't deserve it. You can't earn it. If you're listening to me, if you're trying to earn that name, you ain't going to earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not going to earn it. But if you'll come to God with faith and repentance, He'll give it to you. He'll change your name. He'll scribble out the old name, stamp His new name, and it'll be there forevermore. Adoption is a change. A change in family. A change in address is a change in your name. Miss Andrew's going to play. Let's stand.